Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. The new Marvel Disney Plus series Echo spotlights Maya Lopez, whom we first met at the stoic badass enforcer for the criminal known as Kingpin. She's now on the run, fleeing to her tiny Oklahoma hometown, determined to nurse her wounds and return to New York City to take over the Kingpin's criminal empire. But her friends and family, including generations of her Choctaw ancestors, may have other plans. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Echo on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Don't know if you've heard, but the latest workplace trend is currently sneaking up on your business. What is it? Could be anything. The great cubicle comeback, maybe a global bagel shortage. Dealing with anything is what ADP does best, something they've been doing for over 70 years. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions so businesses are ready for the next anything. ADP. Always designing for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the official Hacks podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the official Hacks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle, find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom-scrolling getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is Sam Yellowhorse-Kessler, producer for NPR's Planet Money. Hey, Sam, welcome back. Hi, Glenn. Thank you for having me to the first ever PCHH Spotlight, a more grown-up version of PCHH. (laughs) It's grittier and more violent. Also with us is writer Shay Vassar. Welcome back, Shay. Sayo, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. All right, so Echo stars Alakwa Cox as Maya Lopez, a young woman trained by mob boss Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin, to become his criminal empire's chief assassin. Fisk is played by Vincent D'Onofrio. The character of Echo was first introduced in the Marvel series Hawkeye back in 2021, while we met Fisk in Netflix's Daredevil series all the way back in 2015. Like her character, Cox is native, deaf, and has a prosthetic leg. Last time we saw her, Maya realized that Fisk had killed her beloved father and got her revenge shooting Fisk in the face. As this new series opens, Maya returns to her hometown of Tamaha, Oklahoma, and her Choctaw community. She's determined to regroup and return to Manhattan and take over Kingpin's gang. 
She's also determined to avoid many people still living in Tamaha, including her grandmother Chella, played by Tantu Cardinal, and her cousin Bonnie, played by Debrie Jacobs. Things don't go as planned. Fisk's goons find her and bring her some surprising news about Kingpin's fate, and Maya starts having visions of her ancestors that seem to want to tell her something important. Echo is the first series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to fall under that spotlight banner, which is meant to signify shows that can be viewed without much prior knowledge of MCU continuity and to tell a story that's grittier and more violent than other Marvel fare, which is to say a lot like the raft of Marvel TV series that were introduced on Netflix back in the day. All five episodes of Echo are streaming now on Disney Plus and Hulu. Uh, Shay, I'm going to start with you. What'd you think? Overall, I really enjoyed the series. I'm not a huge MCU follower. I think I've only seen the Iron Man movies. Mm -hmm. So at first I was a little nervous that I wouldn't quite understand what it was going for. But I, I was able to follow the story very well. And while it's a little formulaic, I, I think that's to be expected with a Marvel creation. Mm-hmm. It really attempted to do something special. And I, I really like the dedication. Okay. Sam, how about yeah. you? How do you feel about the dedication? <laughs> I, I liked the conceit off of the bat of this like career criminal returning home, you know, being forced to reconnect with her family while also exacting revenge on her pseudo-adoptive father. But mm-hmm. it kind of fell flat for me in execution. You mentioned the initial raft of Netflix Marvel series. And this kind of reminded me of those, but with this attempt at packaging that felt like it was supposed to be more prestige and it just kind of didn't land in either space for me. So I, I, it was really hard for me to really fall in love with this series, but I appreciated, yeah, the dedication and effort and the kind of spirit of it in general. Okay. Admiring the dedication, the spirit, I, I kind of come down in the same place. I mean, I have not been feeling Marvel TV series for a while, and I do admire the focus of this. I like whom it is centering. I can't say this turned me around on the whole Marvel TV is an ongoing enterprise uh, that much. It's got focus. Uh, which is good, but it doesn't have a lot of efficiency. We've only got five episodes here. Again, good. But half of that first one was basically a clip show from Hawkeye to bring newcomers (laughs) up to speed on this character. And I do like Cox. I think Cox brings a lot of intensity to this brooding, badass loner character because that's what the script calls for. She delivers. But I got to say, brooding, badass loner characters are thick on the ground and they are just narratively inert, right? It's such an 80s archetype. And I was really holding out hope that finally having it inflected through a completely different and woefully underrepresented cultural sensibility would find something new. Nope. (laughs) Not, Not for me, at least. I mean, you've got this burden of the brooding, badass loner character archetype. I just think that's a husk without a lot of juice left. Do you understand what I'm getting at there? Yeah. I really like the main character. I really like the central character. And she just, like, has so... Especially, like, Cox, the actress herself, like, has this kind of very commanding presence. And Mm -hmm. I really, like, she doesn't give away a lot in her expression. And prior to this role, she didn't have any acting experience, as I understand it. Which is, like, so surprising because it really feels like she does so much with very little for this character. 
And she just has like very little kind of like compelling arcs to go through in the, these five episodes. And it's just so surprising because it's it's five episodes. It's a miniseries. And most of it is fluff mm-hmm. right off the bat. Like I want to I want to root for her. I want to see some kind of like dimensionality here of the kind of complexity of, of so many different things that she has to be dealing with um, when it comes to her her family, her career in crime. And instead, mm-hmm. like, it just kind of feels like she's the actress is not given a lot to work with, which is terrible because she's very compelling to look at and to and to watch on screen. Yeah, I was going to say, too, one of the reasons Marvel is not something I watch a lot is because I'm not really into the action scenes. Like, that's even why other action type films are and, and TV series are not my go to. So that kind of was the focus of this. While I felt like any of the interpersonal stuff, like with her grandmother, if you thought about it too much, it kind of fell through because it it didn't really make sense to me that her and her grandmother had never really spoken since she moved out of Oklahoma. And that really bothered me because it just like you didn't really feel that that was legitimate. Like there was no Mm. other reason why they should have. So it was nice when they were brought back together. Her grandmother's kind of beefing with like an eight-year-old who like, when she exactly. left, like, it's like, well, yeah, like she didn't talk to, that's not the eight-year-old's fault. She was in New York. Like she doesn't, mm-hmm. she doesn't know how to use a phone. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of fell through for me. And and of course you have Tantu Cardinal, who is like such a good actor in that grandmother role. But like, even then having these two characters that like, I want to succeed and want to see a lot from not really being given more than just this pettiness. I was a little confused. There was a lot in this people being like, Maya's back, Maya's back. And Mm. it's kind of like, why is this such... She left when she was so young and they don't really like explain too much why everyone has this weight behind this idea that this person who left when they were eight or nine coming back is such a big deal. And it just creates like this kind of like, yeah, like very thin drama that I wish that there was more of an explanation for or an understanding of like, where did this come from? What is the relationships that she has with all of these people? How has that changed since she initially left for a very good reason and for a reason that was out of her control? Mm-hmm. I really like Tantu Cardinal here uh, as Chola, as the grandmother. And um, give me the Chola and Scully show, Tantu Cardinal and Graham Greene. Always love to see Graham Greene in anything. Yeah, agreed. But like that was the tension of the first two episodes. We spent a lot of time in the last three setting up how Fisk, uh, the kingpin, Vincent D'Onofrio, feels about Maya. Almost no time spent on how Maya feels about Fisk. And I know why they did that, right? You you hire Vincent D'Onofrio, you give him screen time, right? <laughs> you got to use him. But how Maya feels is put forward as the central tension of those last three episodes. That tension determines what choices she makes and the choices she goes back on within like the same episode. So she goes back and forth many times. The tension tightens kind of at random. I liked the big fight in the skating rink. Speaking of action, I like that a lot. I like the incorporation of ASL here. I didn't like not knowing what she was doing, why she was making the choices she was making. And that is... I'm going back to this. Uh, it's, it's a bee in my bonnet. It's the nature of the brooding badass loner character that she doesn't confide in anyone. So why was she sticking around to Maha if she didn't want to see anybody from her past? You know, like these are questions that the show wants to be tension building up to a big break that I just don't think they established that tension. Yeah, I think too, because they didn't create that tension, it doesn't quite have the payoff that should when it comes to the idea of 
especially her matrilineal ancestors being the ones to lead her, which I found so cool. And I loved that concept. It's so spiritual. And while this show utilizes it in a way that is specific to Choctaw culture, specifically the Choctaws in Oklahoma, it also felt really relevant to other cultures I know of, including like my own Cherokee background. Again, it's like it should have been a better payoff because there should have been more behind that. So that was hard because I'm like, this is beautiful. And I love that you have this lead badass character who's both like a res kid and an urban kid. Like she represents so much for Native communities. But like, it's a little hollow. It's a little hollow in a way that I'm like, oh, I want to I like it because of what it is, but it should be more. It should be more. Hollow is a good word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably the hardest needle to thread for this for me is this kind of like supernatural power that comes through her matrilineal line. Because like I talked about how I like the conceit of this, like part of what I was looking forward to was like a very human level Marvel series where this character is trained in martial arts, but most of like her skill is in kind of her cunning and her wit and her street smarts, her street knowledge. And so then to kind of still bring it back to this supernatural element felt really reductive to me in a way of, especially of like native cultures, where kind of what I wanted was I wanted this to be expressed as something that is important to her character emotionally or like that her that her grandmother like brings to her as something that can inform her character narratively or in some grander metaphor And instead for it to be so literal as like your ancestors give you an actual superpower felt really, it just felt like, yeah, like hollow is is probably the good word. It was so bizarre and it really didn't like ring to me as like something that felt meaningful in the same way where I watch like Res Dogs and Mm. that is a much more, these themes are picked up on in a way that is built out slowly over a season and informs characters indirectly or their choices. And this just didn't have the same feeling to me. It felt like they were trying to fit it into a Marvel superhero mold and they kind of went for something that felt really native to them. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to unpack here because, okay, so individual elements work. I did like the visions. The visions were interesting. I was waiting for the show to lead me to some kind of organic epiphany that would reveal their significance. And that revelation takes the form of somebody sitting her down and just delivering like 15 minutes of exposition to her. It's a big chunk of exposition. But let's talk about the use of mysticism here. And again, this took me back initially because the show here, the show is touted as gritty and street level. And the first scene we get is a very Marvel CGI, Technicolor, spiral symbol, glowing hands. And let's put that in context, right? So for years, when white creators would make films and TV that purported to be about Native communities, one of the key signifiers they would invoke was a use of mysticism and magic. It played into stereotypes, you know, look how exotic, right? Uh, or or in, in many cases, how primitive, right? So it, it kept them in a box. It, it othered, if we want to use a graduate school term, it othered them. But a show, you mentioned, Sam, like Reservation Dogs, it takes that whole idea and satirizes it uh, while also owning it on some level. How did this work? Did this renegotiate? There was, Or was this simply parroting that back in a kind of superhero way. I'm mixed on it. Mm-hmm. Again, the the idea that like this matrilineal line is helping you in a modern day, you know, like you said, gritty situation when both her parents are dead. Like that to me, 
is beautiful. But yeah, the more you dig into it, the more I'm like a little bit turned off because of how it feels too simple. And this is not a simple concept. Mm -hmm. Like that was a little bit, I don't even know if I have the words for it because it's like, it's cool. But on one hand, it's also not um, just because it, it, it is so Marvel. Like it still feels like it's part of a superhero narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when I first heard about this series, uh, you know, I, I went back and I watched Hawkeye. I was kind of getting excited for it because I realized that this was probably one of the very few representations of an urban native, a Native American person who lives in a city that we'd seen in mainstream media. And I think mm -hmm. I was really looking forward to that because what that does is it shows uh, viewers a kind of representation where we're not, Native Americans aren't living in the past. They don't exist as part of history. They exist as part of, you know, crime syndicates and or just yeah, like you know yeah, yeah. you know you know urban lifestyle whatever the case may be as soon as it started and she's on her bike on the way to oklahoma and it starts every episode with kind of a flashback to another period in choctaw history i'm like i see what you're going for and i respect it so much but i also it irks me just having seen so many things where Native Americans are portrayed as spiritual or connected to their ancestors in mm -hmm. a way that I worry doesn't represent um, every single Native American's experience today, especially these urban natives who um, may be very disconnected from their cultures or even understanding of where they come from, but not feeling like it represents who they are fully. It's kind mm -hmm. of an odd contrast because this character also has you know, disabilities. And it's kind of like Hawkeye and this series, it's kind of like an interesting like A and B of like how much her disability informs her character and how much her native ancestry like informs her character. And I'd be really interested to hear from somebody with a disability of like how this feels to them in delivering on that kind of representation. Because there were times where I was like, I was like, it really does feel like it's not something that is so central to her character in a way that I thought was really unique in the way that they are trying to build Echo to make her Native American ancestry feel like very central to her character. And it was mm -hmm. like uh, interesting to see how these two parts are kind of played up and played down. I think this is an interesting character, even though she's a brooding badass loner. <laughs> I think she's interesting. This show felt like we were dealing with her trauma so that we could kind of get her off the chessboard. Right. And move on to, mm. and, and the final scene, uh, the post-credit scene of this show indicates that we're moving on from her to go back to quote unquote, more high profile characters. I hope they're not throwing her away, but I worry that's what they're doing. I am mm -hmm. worried about that as well, because there was only five episodes, which is why I think the five episodes explains why there is a little bit of hollowness because this show should have been at least seven, if not 10 episodes, in my opinion, just because the storylines are there, but none of them are really fleshed out. And and then that's unfortunate yep. because if they phase out this character and we only get five episodes of her own story and it's been reduced to just the spiritualism, I'm not going to be happy, um, <laughs> you know, because we finally mm -hmm. get a native superhero and it's kind of like you get a little crumb and we're going to eat the rest of the pie. I don't love that. I don't love that. <laughs> here's here's I'm going to be very prescriptive to Marvel. Here's what you should have done is it should have been a 10 episode, 20 episode series where it's just like Poker Face with Natasha Leone, road trip with Alakwa Cox 
dodging uh-huh. Fisk's henchmen in every city that she stops in. And fights, I know you don't love this shape, but just fight sequences, <laughs> just like clever solutions to, you know, a different villain every week. I would have watched the crap out of that. Exactly. I'm like, we need to get you some general meetings. You know, Marvel should call yeah. Sam right now. Like, <laughs> But yeah, I don't want to be a total negative Nancy on this show. I think the performances in this are really great. Glenn, you mentioned the ASL incorporation into this. I found like it was just the way that the actors kind of perform ASL was very compelling to me and helped like deliver dialogue in a way that I had never seen before. And even just like clocking how different characters approach uh, talking to Maya felt very interesting and very informative to their characters. But sometimes they just didn't have a lot to say. But yeah, also, if you want to see every Native American actor that you've <laughs> seen in everything else this past couple years, you will see them. I, I was like watching it and I was like, yep. Janice meeting. Yep. She, she's from Rutherford Falls. The only person that they don't have at this point is is the dude from uh, from Res Dogs. And then Dallas Goldtooth shows up in like shows the last up. episode. <laughs> it's so, and yeah, they're all, again, they're all freaking fantastic. I was just like. I'm like, wow, Marvel really was like, we're going to be giving paychecks to everyone. <laughs> and I loved that. Yeah. I mean, there are Native people in front of the camera, behind the camera, and apparently in the casting cast, casting yeah. office. So, yes, that's good. Well, you heard what we think about Echo. Decidedly mixed. We want to know what you think about Echo. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Shea Vassar, Sam Yellowhorse Kessler, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for letting me come back. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and Cher Vincent and edited by Mike Katsuf. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. Engineering was performed by Sina Lofredo. And Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. NPR.